Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest podcast, this one being for July 2017. Um, Can I just say, first of all, how much I appreciate uh, the number of people who listen to these podcasts. It's a strange thing when you record these. You're kind of sitting in, in my case, my office in front of a microphone, and you kind of wonder whether anybody is ever going to hear the words that you utter. And I can see from the uh, analytics stats that a lot of people do like to listen to the podcast. And for that, I am extremely grateful. Now, each month, of course, uh, I'm always looking for different things I can chat with you about. And uh, and this month, I, I want to talk a little bit, first of all, about um, Darren Brown, who I, I find to be uh, extremely interesting as a person and as a performer. Um, I went to uh, probably two, I think it was, of Darren's early live shows. And uh, I was hugely impressed at the time by his charisma and, and about the way that he presented the the mental effects and the mind control and so on that he did on those particular shows. And despite the fact that he's now been extremely successful for for, for many years, he is still managing to come up with all sorts of different presentations and different ideas and ways of making what he does interesting and not sort of -of run-of-the-mill or boring. And no no two of his his live shows really are exactly the same, are they? The the way that he approaches them and so on, it always seems to have a slightly different twist here and there. Now, the one that uh, I watched the most recently when it was rerun on television um, was Miracle which was another example of how you can take something which is a theme, which is could have been, for many people, a bit taboo, basically faith healing, and create and craft a really entertaining and incredibly strong show out of it. He has this ability to, in, in many ways, to contradict the what most of us would assume is a, is a given for entertaining the modern lay audience. We would, most of us would say, particularly perhaps close-up magicians, but but probably nearly all magicians would say, well, with the modern-day audience, they have no attention span, no concentration either. So everything you do has to be quick and to the point and flashy and and grab their attention and try, if you can, to hang on to it. You then watch something like Darren's Miracle Show and you realise that it's extremely wordy. He spends... Um, quite a long time just talking but it's not just talking for the sake of talking what he's saying has true meaning and true power for the audience and when the camera pans across the the spectators you can see that you you feel that 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 almost like there's a tension as they hang on every word that Darren utters he gives what he says an importance uh, and a significance and a gravitas, really, which means that despite the fact, as I say, that most audiences, we would assume, need to have an instant gratification in terms of the magic, he doesn't provide that. He will often give a very big build-up to something happening. It, the whole A routine might last 10 minutes or more. Well, certainly that's how it feels. And yet it's never boring. And it has such impact because of the fact that he builds everything up. And 
unlike, let's say, in his heyday, Paul Daniels, where I, know, I remember some lay people used to say to me, oh, yeah, I really, I really like his magic, but sometimes I just wish he'd get on with it. So in other words, the, the presentation and the humour and so on, for some people, that kind of got in the way of getting to the point because it, it, in a way, I suppose, it seems trivial. Darren, on the other hand, because of the nature of what he's doing and the way he gives it importance and the way he talks about it and the way he, he crafts the presentation, he can get away with having a long build-up to something happening because it seems that it's necessary, it seems important and, it, and there is a tremendous relevance to what he does. And it's a fantastic skill and I really admire the way that he, that he does this. Um, if you haven't seen uh, any of his live shows, um, it's really an education, I think, for all of us, just to watch how he does it and how he uses the material that he's presenting and his personality to give it meaning and to give it importance. And that's one of the reasons why he is pretty unique and why he is so successful. So more power to Darren. Now, uh, talking about Darren Brown brings me actually very neatly, I guess, um, to my next topic, which is about predictions. I was playing around with a, a mental effect the other day and it involved me having to have a prediction. And then I started this sort of internal dialogue with myself about whether this prediction should be handwritten or whether I should have it printed. Because it seemed to me, my sort of initial thought was, well, if I have this printed then it looks kind of too final. Uh, whereas if I write it, it looks like I'm, I'm actually looking into the future and foretelling what's going to happen. But I, I couldn't quite work out initially in my head what, what the difference might imply as to whether the thing was printed or whether it was handwritten. Because I, I sort of felt that there must be a difference between the two. But initially, I couldn't think what it was. But I, I think I've now worked out what it is. Now, probably for lay people, this would fly past them anyway. But certainly when I started to analyse it and think about it, the conclusions that I come to are as follows. And you can see what you think about this, whether you agree with me or not. If you're going to do a trick in which a spectator is going to be given some free choices, a choice or several choices, and you say that you're going to write a prediction, then... Because there's going to be a number of perhaps elements of them selecting things, what you're going to do is you're going to try and show that you can look ahead and work out what is going to happen after he's made all these um, after he's made all these choices. Now, to me, I would have to do a handwritten prediction for that particular one because I, I want them to believe that the choices that they are about to make are free choices and that the trick is, or the effect, if you like, is that I am anticipating what their choices are going to be and I am writing a prediction on the basis of what I think they're about to do. So it has a fairly fluid sort of feel to it, I think. However, if my presentation changes, I can change the nature of the prediction. Because if I say to a spectator, now in a moment you're going to be making some choices... These are going to feel like free choices, but actually it's a funny thing, but then they won't actually be free because destiny is going to kick in. There are certain things that no matter how many choices we make in life, 
there is an outcome that we cannot avoid. And in fact, I know what the outcome is going to be after you have made your choice in a few minutes. It's printed on this card, which I'm placing face down on the table here. You, th- you cannot avoid this. It is on here. I know what's going to happen. So you see, the, so you see the difference between that. The second one, where it's printed, is I'm saying they will not be able to avoid this particular outcome. And the fact that it's printed, and that I then go to another table and I do the same trick, and I use the same prediction. If somebody was to come across and watch, it would be fine, because the presentation is that it's destiny. And no matter what free choices the spectator will make, they're not going to be able to avoid arriving at this end particular endpoint that I have printed on the card. Whereas if I want them to believe that their free choices are random and that they arrive at a point that nobody could know except for me, the magician, I'm going to make a prediction, then in that case, it's not destiny. It's simply the culmination of various choices the spectator makes that I am going to try and predict. And in that case, I think, I should handwrite it to make it look like every time I do it, it could be a different outcome because it's different spectators making different choices, which ends up at a different place. So I think that makes sense. And, and certainly in the terms of the trick that I was thinking about, it meant that I had to handwrite the prediction and not have it printed. Um, but what do you think? Have you ever thought about that? And in, if there are any prediction tricks that you already do, you could try applying that logic such as it is uh, and see whether you're actually doing the right in inverted commas thing by having it either handwritten or not. Now, despite what some people might have you believe, there is nobody in magic who knows everything there is to know about magic. Now, there are people such as Max Mavin, for example, who are extremely knowledgeable and either know a huge amount about most things or if they don't, they know exactly where to find out the information that they do need, which is a skill in itself, of course. But for most of us, there are huge gaps in our knowledge. And I think when you're putting together an act or you're trying to be a little bit uh, creative or unique in what you do, this can be a real hindrance because you're constantly stymied by all the things that you don't know. And there may be a lot of things that you don't know that you don't know. In other words, there may be all sorts of concepts and ideas which you've never come across at all. And because you don't know they exist, you don't know to go looking for them. And I think for this reason, it's really important to have a good circle of of magic friends who can kind of fill in the, perhaps some of the missing pieces of the jigsaw things that you might not have and pieces of information that they do that can help you when you come up against a brick wall when you're trying to do something. I often think that who you hang out with magically uh, can make a, a huge difference. Now, I mentioned, of course, right at the beginning of this podcast, talking about Darren Brown and the tremendous variety of his shows and the quality of all his live shows and his television stuff, for that matter. But, of course, he doesn't do that in splendid isolation. He hangs out with people like Andy Nyman and others who are immensely creative and who help him, in conjunction with Darren, to create a lot of the things that, that eventually take to, he takes on and takes into the shows. But without these people, he would only probably be able to go so far on his own. And on a smaller level, that's, this is true of all of us. 
we we none of us can work in complete isolation you do need to bounce ideas off other people and if you hang out with people who have no knowledge or who have very narrow views or expertise in magic and you rely on them for the information then that can often hold you back it's it's much better if you can have a number of friends who perhaps have different expertise in different areas of magic, if you know somebody who's into stage magic and somebody who's into close up and somebody maybe who's a children's entertainer on the face of it, um, depending on what you want to do, of course, with your act on the face of it, you may think, well, these three are all disconnected and unconnected that they don't really have much use to me well no they all may do because by taking a little bit of what this person's expertise and a little bit of, bit of that person's sometimes you can realize that it'll give you ideas it'll it'll spring thoughts into your head about what you need to think about and they may know sources for information that you are unaware of so who you hang out with is really important so have a look around who are your best mates in magic and do you find that they provide extra information for you? Do, can they fill in the gaps that you might otherwise have in your magical knowledge? Talking of gaps in people's knowledge, and so we've got another little segue coming up here from the last topic to this one. Crikey, you'd almost think I planned these podcasts the way this one's going. One of the gaps, in, and I think in a lot of entertainers' knowledge, is information about marketing how to market yourself we we all need to market ourselves if we want to do paid shows i suppose a lot of us rely on rebooks or word of mouth recommendations particularly if we've been in the business for a while and you've been working in area for a while you can get a lot of referrals and ongoing business from satisfied clients but at some point unless you want to have a gradually declining perhaps number of bookings or you want to simply up the ante and get more, then you're going to have to advertise or publicise yourself in some way or other. And I, I think this is an area of, of entertainment, of show business, we're good at the show, not so good at the business, I think, a lot of us, that gets ignored. And I think it's one of the most important areas. Because let's face it, no matter how good a magician you are, no matter how brilliant your act is, if nobody finds out about it or nobody can find out information that will lead them to make an inquiry with you, then your act is going to basically not get out there very much. You, you have to make sure that people find out about what you have to offer. And that's, of course, all to do about self-promotion, advertising and publicity. And we all know that these days this is a lot more difficult than it's been in the past. Now, for the last 20 or 30 years, I've tried so many different ways to to advertise my, my shows and myself as a magician. And there is no one successful thing. OK, this, if you do this, you'll be successful because the goalposts are constantly moving. When I started 30 odd years ago, Yellow Pages was king. Now Yellow Pages is dead in the water. So that alone shows the Internet didn't exist. Now it's it's hugely important. So the, the goalposts are constantly shifting. So you have to keep perhaps looking at what you're doing. And rather than just repeating endlessly that the advertising or the promote self-promotion that you've done in the past and then sort of wondering why perhaps it doesn't seem to be working so well, you need to look at it again 
and see perhaps there are new ways or better ways or more relevant or more modern ways of getting your name out there. And that's why I, it actually led me to sort of look at what I was doing. And the more I started to think about the, all the various avenues there are out there, it made me realise just how confusing it can all seem. There's almost like we've got too many choices now, whereas before we were, it was basically yellow pages and that would pretty much do for most of us. Now, because that's not there, suddenly there's this huge array of possibilities. And it's really hard, I think, for, especially for most of us who don't have any marketing training. It's really hard to know what to do, which to spend money on, time on and so on. So I've just released a, an, an ebook last month called Marketing Yourself. It's one of my professional worker series ebooks. And what I've done is, uh, in the course of looking at my own shows, I started to realise lots and lots of different ways that people can use. And I've, I've written them all down in this 35-page ebook in order to try and demystify, in many ways, the whole process of marketing and to couch it in language and in terms that, that the average magician can relate to. The things that I talk about are things that, that I have found to be some good, some not so good, but they're things that I've tried. And although that not all of the answers may be in there, there are probably other things that others are doing, there are a huge number, a whole range of ideas and principles, which if you read the ebook, should help you if you're proactive enough to not only read the ebook but then go into action action and actually do some some of the ideas, should help you over the long term to promote yourself better. So don't just work on your act. Um, for £10, you can have an ebook that will help you to promote that act. And I think that's, uh, that's worth £10 of anybody's money. So even if you're only casually interested in marketing yourself, have a look at um, this ebook that I've got. You can find it on my website and uh, see whether some information there can help you to promote yourself better. Being a magic dealer, you would think, is a, a relatively unusual occupation, wouldn't you? You know, it's not being a solicitor or an accountant or something like that. It's although there seem to be a lot of magic dealers these days. Nevertheless, it is still an unusual thing, and particularly in for lay people. Lay people don't often know that how people, the magicians, get their magic. They don't even know that there are particularly magic shops or magic suppliers. So, as a magic retailer and dealer myself, um, I always felt that my business was fairly unusual. But it wasn't actually as unusual or memorable as I thought. Um, back in the 80s and 90s, I was doing a lot of wholesale. I was wholesaling a lot of my products into America and Japan and, and a few places in Europe. And um, it involved me sending, obviously, my products in quite large quantities, quite large boxes and parcels abroad. And although I'd always used Royal Mail for my sort of retail customers in the mainly in the UK or even abroad for that matter because the items themselves were light and small it made economic sense to send them by either just ordinary Royal Mail or Royal Mail International if it was abroad but for the bigger parcels I decided that well actually it would probably be better to use a courier who was a specialist in sending stuff overseas so uh, I picked on a very well-known international courier company and I contacted them and I set up 
an account with them for Mark Leverage Magic. And at the time I had a parcel to send to America, so they dealt with that. And in the course of doing that, I set up the account. And that was fine. And the parcels were picked up and, and went off and arrived. And there was no problem with that. But I didn't have another order immediately. And about a month had gone by and I hadn't used the account anymore. And then all of a sudden I received in the mail, because we're talking 80s and 90s, it's in the post, I received an invoice for about, I can't remember how much it was now, a couple of hundred pounds. And I looked at this and I thought, what the heck's this? I haven't sent anything for a month. And I looked at it and apparently Mark Leverage Magic had sent eight crates of fish somewhere or other. So I thought, well, that's a bit odd. So I contacted, I, I, in fact, I, I rang them up. And because it, it, these things, have you noticed, whenever you're ill or whether there's anything needs to be fixed, it's always a f late on a Friday afternoon that you discover you need to do something about it. And such was the case with this. The thing came and it was a Friday. And I thought, oh. So anyway, so I tried ringing on Saturday morning, this courier company, and I got through eventually after hanging on and listening to horrible music for ages. I got to somebody and I said, oh, hello. And I explained the situation. I said, I've got this invoice for fish. But my company is Mark Leverage Magic and I sell magic to magicians and I don't sell fish. And a guy says, oh, yes. He said, well, that's clearly not right, is it? No, I'm very sorry about that. I'll, um, I'll sort that out for you. I'm sorry about that. Th ignore it. Thank you very much. So I got off the phone. A week later, I get another invoice from them, a reminder that I haven't paid the first invoice. So once again, I get on the phone and I say, um, this is the second invoice I've received. I rang somebody the other day and they said, no, Mark Leverage Magic does not sell fish and that therefore this is wrong. Can you please sort it out? The chap says, oh, yes, that's that's a, sorry, that's a clerical error. And he said, I will deal with it right now. I could hear him tip tapping on his keyboard in the background. They are, sir, I've, I've taken that off there, off your account. It, uh, you won't be bothered anymore. Well, you can see where this is going, can't you? About two weeks later, I received a final demand for the crates of fish that I hadn't sent. So I had to ring them up again. And I got a bit annoyed. I don't get annoyed easy, but easily, but I was a bit annoyed about this. Anyway, this went on. And in the end, I had to shut down the entire account and not do any more business with them. And even that wasn't easy. Just simply, they could not cope with not sending me invoices for fish despite the fact that I'm a magic dealer. So you see, magic dealing, it's not special at all. I must admit that Britain's Got Talent is, is not a TV show that I uh, tend to watch. Although it has to be said that, of course, magicians in, in recent times have, have had tremendous success and, and are continuing to do so. Uh, with Jamie Raven going second a couple of years ago and, and Richard Jones winning it last year. And then this year, little Izzy Simpson coming second uh, was amazing and I was thinking about her and I, and I I mean I don't know anything about these programs I've never been on it but you you know you hear various things and I did wonder just how fixed some of this is because if you think about it if she had one then the implications of that for somebody so young uh, are quite far-reaching aren't they N not just in that you know, for someone so young to get all that success early might not be that good for her, actually. 
but more for the fact that the, the prizes, if you like, and what that would then enable her to do, whether it's going on the Royal Variety performance or anything else, that, that these things would kind of come too early in her career, perhaps. And instant success of that nature might in the long term, I mean, it might not, but it might in the long term be detrimental to have so much success early on. And I think, in a way, this is slightly the problem, isn't it, with shows like this on television, where they make instant heroes, if that's the right word, instant success stories, when perhaps with some of the acts, they don't have the experience behind them to deal with the success that they are then given. And it can, of course, cause them to, not that far down the line in the future, to kind of implode and not be able to cope with it and give up. Whereas those acts that are more established, and this is part of a strategy for them that they can then incorporate into their their general progression in show business, then I can see that that's really valuable. And for people like Jamie and, and Richard, they have managed to harness that. They already had the talent and, and some of the background that they needed, in order, and this gave them the, the push into the public domain in, the, in a big way. But maybe for Izzy, um, she's still too young to have that. But I still thought she was amazing and her personality came across fantastically well. She, she's clearly been coached, but it was it was great to see. Um, and in fact, all the magicians who did so well on this year's competition. And it seems a common theme, doesn't it? Because um, there are in, where the Got Talent shows like in the, America's Got Talent and the, and the Dutch one. Um, they've got magicians being very successful in those, too. There's, and magicians are really um, pushing to get uh, winners into the final stage and, and to be winners in a number of different countries, which I guess is great. It just shows the popularity of magic generally. When somebody makes an inquiry of you to, to go and do a magic show and you go to the, the trouble of putting back your quote and then that's basically the last you hear of it, you probably think to yourself, oh, I guess I was too expensive. Because in many ways, we perhaps wrongly make the assumption that money is the only issue at stake here when somebody makes an inquiry. But I would say it probably isn't. Yes, there are a lot of people who are basically sending emails round or ringing round in order to get the cheapest act, magic act that they can find because they have limited money to spend and they don't really care too much on what they get as long as they've got someone doing some tricks. But that, for a lot of other people, is not the issue at all. And it's always been said that in certain types of show, maybe some corporate bookings or larger shows, you can actually quote too low. You are actually too cheap. They think, well, he can't be any good, not good enough for our big, prestigious and important event, because that's all he's charging. So it can work around the other way, can't it? But I think there are other reasons, too, why you don't get the booking. For instance, uh, somebody may say, I don't know what a magician costs. Well, they've absolutely no idea. And they think, well, because we could have a magician at our party. So they then make some inquiries. And they get a few quotes in. But in the meantime, they've had more discussions about the party and they decide that actually they won't have a magician at all. They may not have any entertainment at all. Not because they can't afford it. It's just that they've decided it's not going to fit for some reason. And so they don't get back to you, not because they're anything to do with your quote, but simply because they no longer want a magician or any perhaps any entertainment at all. So there can be things like that. 
it's not just necessarily to do with the price. It may be not anything to do with what you've said you can do or you can offer. There can be other outside factors that we are unaware of. The party that they were going to have, they end up cancelling. I had one wedding that I that I did actually get the booking for and about two months before the wedding was due to take place, it was cancelled because the the wedding couple had split up. Well, you can imagine that, I mean, this happened after I'd been booked, but you can imagine the sort of thing where people are making inquiries a long way in advance for a wedding. So that you put in your quote for the wedding and it's going to be at the end of next year sometimes so or 18 months away. And in the meantime, before they get round to booking on it, they decide to split up and they don't have the wedding. So you simply assume that they've had a different magician who charge less money. Well, the reality is the wedding never took place. So I think there are lots of different things and we can never really second guess these, can we? We don't really know why we're being thrown over either in favour of somebody else or just just not getting the booking in the first place. But I don't think that it's a question of, oh, well, in that case, if I haven't got this booking, the next time I quote, I'm going to quote a lower fee because I really don't think that's the way to go. Being cheap doesn't it might guarantee you certain types of booking, but it won't necessarily mean that you'll get all the bookings going down and down on price is because it's not the only factor is not going to be successful and it's not sustainable either in the long run. Right, well, that's another 30 minutes gone. Thank you so much for your company. Uh, I've been recording this in the middle of June and we're in the middle of a heat wave in the UK and everybody's sort of in in England, of course, we always complain about the weather and how awful it is the whole time. And yet the minute the sun comes out and we've got 30 or 35 degrees outside, everybody's complaining it's too hot. This is the thing about the British. We, we're never really happy, whatever we have. But uh, I was happy to have you along for this, uh, this podcast. And I'll look forward to uh, hopefully having you join me again in August when we do it all once more. Have a good month. Bye for now.